0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Building Faith podcast. We're delighted that you've tuned in. We welcome you to this this ongoing discussion we're having with our teaching pastor, Pastor Shane Kohler. Uh, you might remember last time we were together, we began a brief uh, discussion, a brief series, if you will, on the subject of the Lord's Prayer. And of course, we're focusing our attention on the account of it in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter six, but. This prayer is also set up for us in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 11, with this amazing appeal from the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. And then you have the greatest teacher of all time responding to that appeal with this instructive model prayer. Last time we were together, we looked at the first half of that prayer that really sets our minds right before this holy God that we come to. Today we're going to pick up with the second half of that prayer in which we begin to appeal to the Lord for the things that we need in these petitions in the second half of the prayer. So settle in and enjoy this time together with Pastor Shane as we look at this model prayer. Okay, so Shane, last time we were together, we were discussing prayer, the subject of prayer in general, but more specifically, we were looking at the Lord's Prayer, what is known as the Lord's Prayer. You might even call it the Disciples' Prayer. In particular, we were looking at uh, the passage in Matthew chapter 6, but we also referenced the, the account of this in, in Luke, in which the disciples asked Jesus, or inquired of Jesus, or appealed to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray and and the lord begins to use this model to instruct them on prayer and we talked about last time the these first three elements in this prayer and you I remember you talked about this is a is not what we are to pray but it's more of a framework for prayer and we broke it into these really these two halves with three elements each and we talked about the first element i mean the first uh three of those elements um so let's uh let's continue on. I guess t- today we're going to finish up with that that structure and talk about the second three. Yeah, we uh we just mentioned uh
1: last time uh you know the the like you said the first half of this which has to do with God's uh you know God's character, God's name or um or if you wanted to alliterate it, you could say it has to do with God's position in heaven, with God's praise in terms of his hallowed name and in and God's power and and his kingdom. So that, that's the, that's the uh, manner in which uh, we approach God. I was thinking about this over the last couple of weeks since our last um, uh, recording, especially during the coronavirus time, when uh, so many of us have slowed down in life. We don't have the outside distractions. Uh, there's not as much you know, external pull on us for, uh, for social activities because we're socially isolated. And is really just a, a terrific opportunity for every one of us to think more deeply about prayer, to really work on our disciplines of prayer, to think through what the Lord uh, taught His disciples here on prayer. You know, we we mentioned it last time. The, the, the disciples asked the question about prayer because they watched the Lord's life. He would rise early in the morning, and we'd go out to a, a solitary place, and and. And he would pray to God, and they were they were basically asking him, uh, "How do you do that? How do you develop that kind of a prayer life?" And this prayer that he gives us is essentially the roadmap that helps us to do that. So, what a wonderful opportunity for all of us in this season to drill down deeper into this and to really begin to refine and shape our prayers, uh, hopefully in ways that will. You know, go with us well
0: beyond this uh, this uh, COVID nineteen crisis. It's interesting to think about the that dynamic of the of the disciples asking him to teach to teach them to pray. I mean, on one hand, you know, obviously this would not be in the character of Christ to do this, but it could be a, a scenario in which it's like I I am I'm one with the Father. You you know, that kind of communion is not possible for you disciples um and and yet he was very gracious and compassionate and kind to give them instruction that like you said what they observed in his prayer life he wanted them to be able to model he wanted them to be able to step into if you will and and really understand what it meant to commune with the father well and that just highlights how real
1: this prayer is it is not uh, you know, it is not some high ecclesiastical ritual prayer that we're supposed to repeat. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he gets down to the nitty-gritty of life. He talks about where our bread comes from and temptation, and and there's the things that everyone struggles with mm-hmm. that you, you know, just to your point, I mean, you may not think those were ever a part of the prayers of the Son of God, and yet... This is what he's teaching the disciples. This is no doubt the way he himself prayed. We know from hearing his prayers, both you know in his ministry, and especially in the Garden of Gethsemane, these were exactly the kinds of things that he was praying. In his humanity. He took on you know uh, the, the form of, of human flesh with its uh, you know uh, consequent weaknesses and, and stuff like that. but by the strength of his divine character, he overcame sin but he did that uh not just in his divine character but independence on the holy spirit and on god and that came through prayer so that's kind of what we want to talk about today is you know we we mentioned last week that that framework that mindset uh with which you approach god you you, you i guess you define who you're talking to and that hopefully uh, that hopefully um settles your heart or even grips your heart as you're as you're getting ready to make this prayer so that it's not a trivial kind of thing, that we should always guard against trivializing our prayers. So we remind ourselves, we're talking to the God who is seated in the heavens, the God whose kingdom and glory is the destiny of all of creation. We remind ourselves of all those things. But then, you know, Jesus gets into the practical realities of where we live uh you know especially the second half of this when he starts to talk about god's provision for us give us this day our daily bread give us this day our daily bread which is is such an interesting thing because if you think about the context of matthew 6 immediately after he tells us to pray give us this day our daily bread at the end of the chapter Jesus actually says, "Seek first the kingdom of uh, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you." What what, what things he's talking about? He's talking about their bread. He's talking about their daily provisions. So, in the prayer, he's teaching us to pray for daily provisions. Later on, he's telling us just seek the kingdom and His righteousness, and the daily provisions will come. In fact, Jesus says just that. He says, "Do not worry, then." Uh, what you'll eat or what you'll wear, for the Gentiles eagerly seek for all these things, and your heavenly Father already knows that you have need of them. It's kind of like David, you know, in the Old Testament, when he said, I have been young and now I'm old, and yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. All day long, the Lord is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. So whether it's Old Testament witness, New Testament witness, or Jesus Christ, I mean, this message is, don't really worry about that stuff. God's going to take care of that stuff. You've got to walk in faithful trust of him to do that. He already knows what your needs are. He thinks about them. This may surprise you more than you think about them, your bills that are due, your uh you know your 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 grocery shopping all those things his thoughts for us are more than the sands of the sea david said so so this is a little bit of an enigma you might say that jesus would in one hand tell us to ask god for our daily bread on the other hand he would almost seemingly say don't think about it you know god's going to take care of it I think you can kind of unwrap the mystery though, when you look at what some of the other New Testament teaching is on prayer, particularly First Timothy chapter four, when Paul's talking about the latter times when people will fall away from the truth, giving heed to um, to doctrines of demons and deceitful doctrines, one of the examples that he gives of that is that men would forbid marriage and advocate the abstaining from foods which. Paul says, God created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude, for it's sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So it's very interesting the language he, he uses there. He He's talking about these false teachings that would promote the abstinence of certain foods, and then he kind of gives this kind of sweeping creation theology. He says, these things were all created by God for our good, and they're sanctified. First of all, sanctified by prayer, You say, by, by the word of God. You say, well, how is it sanctified by the word of God? Well, when God created everything in Genesis 1, he created, and he says in Genesis 1.29, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the surface of the earth and every tree which has its fruit yielding seed it's all food for you so the lord sanctified it he set it apart for us for food and he gives us all of that later on in genesis he tells noah every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you i give it all to you as i gave the green plant so whether it's whether it's uh you know the, uh, the the vegetables or the or the the meats. You know God has given it all to us. So the word of God sanctifies it. But Paul also says that prayer sanctifies it. So it it's it needs to be, if you will, um, set apart for us by means of prayer. Or we might say it this way: it needs to be acknowledged by prayer. Where this come from, what comes from, in fact, Paul says right there in First Timothy chapter four that these things were created by God to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. so I think this is really what is is at the heart of what Jesus is telling us to do when it comes to our daily provisions our our, our bread our housing, our clothing, or whatever it might be, uh, all of those things, we need to be regularly acknowledging that they come from God's hand. Even though we may have all the food we think we need this week in the pantry, uh, we recognize uh, every time we partake of that that this came from God, that he's the one who gave us that daily bread.
0: Yeah, I think about this in the context of of the 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 reality of this communion relationship that Christ had with the the Father this intimacy that we can't even really fathom but this just speaks to that that principle that this is i mean coming to the to the Lord and asking for our daily bread i i think that it might be routine or common for us to sort of put that into this isolated category. So I'm going to pray for a minute, and I'm going to thank God and praise him because he is an awesome God, and he's holy, and he's worthy of praise. And that's the praise category, and that's the worship category. And then I got my other category of prayer where I'm going to ask for the stuff that I think I need, or I'm going to pray for the desires of my heart, or I'm going to appeal to God out of a sense of desperation or whatever it might be. But that's a separate category. And really, what Christ is teaching is that all of this is about our communion with our Heavenly Father. All of it is about us having fellowship with the God who made us and who made the things that we need that we're going to appeal to Him for. And, you know, we talked about this last time a little bit, but you just sort of bring this down to, you know, the closest metaphor we can sort of grab hold of. And that's, you know our relationship with you know fathers and and children, um, and how how I think of my kids. I mean, I, I provide for my kids what they need, and you know, I'm not going to let them go hungry. And and yet when they come to me and express gratitude for the things that I'm going to provide anyway, that I'm I have no there's no hesitation or doubt for me to. But when they have when there's when there's an expression of gratitude, or when they ask for things that they know I'm probably going to provide anyway, but they ask with humility and with a sense of honor, it it just totally it totally magnifies the beauty and and affection in that relationship. Well, you
1: could summarize it, you know, kind of along your 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 point there. You could summarize it as the the entire prayer, the entire enterprise of prayer, and certainly the prayer that Jesus is giving us. It's all an exercise in getting us to think rightly about God mm. to think about what He gives and how He leads and how He guides and protects, and all of those things uh, and that's really what you're describing I mean what the joy that we have in relationship with our family when children are thinking rightly about their parents and parents are thinking rightly about their children and husbands are thinking rightly about their wives and vice versa well, God desires that mm-hmm. God desires that and And he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from us uh, these acknowledgments of how we are thinking about him. All of his goodness and all of his mercies. Speaking of mercy, the next provision there or element in the prayer is speaking about God's forgiveness. And I think it follows a very similar line to what we saw with the provision of bread. He says, Forgive us our sins as we forgive also everyone who sinned against us. Again, this, I think, strikes some people as a little bit odd. They, when they first come into the Christian life, they're not quite sure uh, how to think about the Lord's Prayer in this because we're taught that once we're saved, we're always saved. Once we're, we're forgiven, we're always forgiven. There's no need for a second... Sacrifice. There's no need for a second point of salvation. When you accept Jesus Christ as uh, your Savior, his declaration on the cross, it is finished, is the declaration over all of your uh, sins. It is they are all done away with. God has taken them all and cast them as the psalmist says into the sea of forgetfulness. So we, we, we hold to that truth, and we, we stand on that truth, this once-for-all sacrifice that is appropriated into our life by faith. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, God applies the, the uh, sufficiency, he, he applies the propitiation, we might say, of that sacrifice against our sins and all of God's wrath. For all eternity is immediately removed from us. So that's the beauty and the glory of forgiveness. But then it begs the question why would Jesus teach us that on a daily basis we need to ask for forgiveness? And I think really the, the key is to understand the difference between judicial and what we might call parental forgiveness. Much like you've uh, you know, been talking about the analogy of, of parents and children. You know, we, we have relationships with our children that are legal, they're binding, they're not going to change on a day-to-day basis. You know, nothing's going to make them not our child, their disobedience, uh, the frustrations we may have with them, the dishonor, the disrespect, all of that stuff, it is not going to change the fact that they are our son or our daughter. That is a rock-solid reality. Yet, those kinds of behaviors affect the intimacy of our relationship. Mm -hmm. And this is what really Jesus is talking about. He's not telling us we need to ask for for judicial forgiveness, that somehow we're going to go from being his son or his daughter to not his son or his daughter. Nothing will ever threaten that. But we need to recognize where our behavior, our lack of obedience, um, or whatever it might be has affected our intimacy with God. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about parental forgiveness, going to God and just acknowledging to Him where you have not lived up, where your tongue has not been sanctified, where your heart has been filled with idols, um, where you know greed and lust and pride has, has gripped uh, your thought life. Those are the kinds of things that we're taking not because we fear that somehow God's going to cast us aside, but we just simply fear losing our intimacy with God. And so we take every day and we confess those things to him. That's what I think Jesus is getting at with that
0: you know, particular element uh, of the prayer. Again, that goes back to the whole matter of, of communion. I just think that it's just so easy for us to think of prayer as us coming before god and and really um requesting things and all I mean, that's a part of it praying for others interceding for others that's a part of it as well but but really just the whole disposition of our relationship before him uh and our communion with him continues to be um sort of brought up in these in these principles
1: yeah and at the same time you know, that, that, that's not only dealing with disappointment and the pain, you know, the grieving of the Holy Spirit, as Paul calls it in Ephesians, that we might bring to God's side, but also our own conscience. You know, we, we, need, to, we need to deal with our conscience when we have sinned and uh, God has given us this built-in um, warning system, if you will. That we need to bring before God and remind ourselves of his of his judicial forgiveness, even as we ask for his parental forgiveness and bathe and cleanse our minds and hearts again in the uh, you know the the finished work of Christ, uh, we could add I guess really quickly this last element of God's protection, lead us not into temptation, which again could be subject to. Some misunderstanding if you think that God would ever lead you into temptation. The scripture is very clear on this in James 1. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. In fact, James is very clear. When you're tempted, you're carried away and enticed by your own desires. So God doesn't tempt us. That's not the point of this prayer. God's not going to lead you into temptation. But the reality is God is sovereign over your temptation, and you've got to understand that when you're battling temptation, if you think that, that, that this is out of the control of God and you're already mortal, you know sort of gripped with mortal fear that it's out of your control, then you're going you're gonna to drive yourself crazy. When you face temptation, you have got to grab hold of the truth that God is sovereign over that temptation and He has the capacity to limit it. This is exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. If you don't understand that, if you don't believe that God is able to limit the temptation. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. If you don't believe that, well you're just going to give in. I mean, you're going to get discouraged, you're going to get tired. Uh, you're not going to if you if you say it this way, you're not going to see the light at the end of the tunnel. You're just going to think this tunnel goes on forever. And you're going to think it's pointless, you know, to kind of keep battling through this temptation. But the scripture says uh very clearly it's not pointless. That God can limit that temptation. And what Jesus is teaching us is that that should be a part of our prayer every day, that God would actually do that, that He would actually, sovereignly reigning over our temptation, bring limitations to it so, so that we wouldn't stumble, so that, that we can find the way of escape. So just like the other ones, you know, the other elements of the prayer there, I, mean, I think, I think you, you understand that final element in the context of what the rest of Scripture says about temptation, about God, about his sovereignty over it. That's what we're asking God to do.
0: And it and it sort of, uh, again, it ties back to, to the overall sort of theme of the prayer in relationship to God that certainly uh, we're not going to um, have the right posture before God if we're weighted down with guilt and shame. Uh, certainly we are going to... Um, not be inclined to even approach God and and faithfulness. We might even find ourselves just offering up quick bursts of prayer for the things that we need, um, or the things that we think that we need, and really not engaging in true prayer and fellowship with our Father. But certainly, um, if we are not coming before God and having this as like an, an essential plank, an essential structure, an essential practice in our prayer. Then we are likely more susceptible to the temptation that comes our way, to the sin that's you know always around us, and the temptation of our own flesh that's always within us. That we're going to have a um, just a, a, a hampered relationship with our mm-hmm. Father. It's going to be affected. It's just so interesting how every every one of the elements of this prayer are
1: designed to. Head off those those attitudes, uh, those practices that would hamper our relationship. Whether it is on one hand the lack of gratitude we have toward God, fearfulness, you know of of uh, you know uh, of temptation and and life and all those things, or just just general shame, mm. uh, guilt of not wanting to approach God because we don't understand the the. Uh, the profundity and freedom of his forgiveness, all of those things the prayers heading them off, uh, telling us no, you you go right after those Th- those are the very things that you go and talk to God about on a daily basis, and when we get into the habit of doing that, hopefully prayer is penetrating beyond the surface and and getting down to the roots of our heart, so that we are developing intimacy
0: with God through this kind of prayer, and like you said, I mean. We're oddly enough or providentially enough, however you want to uh, phrase it, we're in a time right now where um, on, on both hands, on one hand, we have, like you said, we have time possibly. We have a different schedule going on that might enable us to really zero in on this discipline and this practice of prayer in our lives. But on the other hand, I would venture to say that because of this season that we're in. We have great need of fellowship with this sovereign God who is hallowed and and we desire for his will to be done and we we long for us we long for our our provision to be sanctified and our understanding that he is the one that provides. All these things we wanna we wanna walk in holiness and not not succumb to temptation. We want to be those who are forgiven and also are characterized by Extending forgiveness, and and now's the time. Now's the opportunity for us to really sort of hone in on this, and and not just not just become consistent in prayer, or not just become maybe a little more um, clear headed about sort of the elements, the key elements of faithful prayer, but to really more profoundly meet God in prayer and enjoy. Um, the fellowship that comes uh, when we come before him consistently in prayer. So just a great opportunity for us.
1: Yeah, and that's what fascinated the disciples, and that's got to be what fascinates us, the opportunity to fellowship with God at that level
0: in prayer. Hmm. Well, I do appreciate, once again, you walking us through these principles, and um, those of you listening, it might be helpful for you to, to listen to part one and part two together, kind of piece all this Together into a total a total picture, and and really just begin to work on um, this discipline of prayer in a way that is fruitful, and hopefully the Lord will use it to draw you to Himself, and and sort of make Himself known to you in more powerful ways and intimate ways. So that's our hope, anyway. Thanks for gain, again, Shane, for walking us through this, and we'll look forward to our next time.
1: Thanks.